somebody's uh, described it uh, uh, this way. It's like getting a ride on Space Mountain at Disneyland. <laughs> nice. <laughs> if you could throw like some water in there and maybe a couple monsters that jump out, this yeah, could yeah, be a yeah. whole tourist thing, right? Okay, I'm in. I'm Take, in for it. There you go. <laughs> All right, Nick. Air you hockey, Concord, Railgun, Space Mountain. Boom. Space Mountain. I love it. Bravo, Mr. Musk. Bravo. Please. Episode 66 of Yats. Every week right here, Wednesday nights, live, yetanothertechshow.com. That's our site. Check it out. I'm Matt Lee. Joining me this evening, just a couple folks. We got Mike Rothman. How you doing, Mike? I'm great, guys. Ready to have me some good Yats. Excellent. Love the Yats. And we also got Nick Carroll from AOTA fame. Uh, What's up, Nick? Hey, guys. uh, Glad to be back. Good to have you, man. Great AOTA last night. If you guys want to check that out, attackoftheandroids.com. Uh, I believe it was episode 94, so check that out. Uh, the big news, let's start off with this. Uh, I was driving around today doing my deliveries as per usual, and uh, I was kind of checking in with Twitter. Saw a lot of um, back and forth with Nilay Patel. Uh, was he from The Verge? Talking about the uh, Google email privacy kerfluffle um i i don't know it's so hard with things like this the expectation of privacy is it treated like postal mail or is it treated like uh just a regular email does it change if you're sending an email from your personal server to someone who's using gmail does that invoke uh what was it called the third party um let me find it here. There's something called the the reason to expect privacy, but when third parties are involved, there was a uh, precedent set back in the late 70s that kind of says, you know, the second any third party is involved, uh, the expectation of privacy is, is done. Uh, this is taken from a Supreme Court case, which was Smith versus Maryland, and that ruled that installing a pen register is not a violation of the Fourth Amendment. Uh, a pen register is an electronic device that records all numbers called from a particular phone, but not the content of the calls. Uh, Nilai writes, he says, or this was on Mashable, so this is what Nilai was referencing. Um, they say that the case was one of the two Supreme Court cases that established the so-called third-party doctrine. This is legal theory according to which a user who turns over information to a company, which is the third party, does not then have an expectation of privacy over that data. Now, we're all Gmail users here. Um, Mike, where do you stand on this? Well, you know, on one level, it's it's not news to us. Is it really that Google is scanning our email for relevant search Information and this comes yeah. out like because I feel like the public at large, the average user, doesn't fully grasp what goes on behind the scenes when Google does its spam magic or when Google does its ad magic. They think that there's a physical human being there reading through all of your email, and that creeps people out, which is not at all the case. These are automated algorithms, they're scripts, and they're necessary. These are Python scripts, exactly. boys and girls. We can we can understand that this is not actually like a base a, a, a football stadium full of people reading our email. These are Python scripts. But what's happened is sort of a a a, 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 a concurrence of of events. You know, on the one hand, all of the uproar over <clears throat> security and privacy that's come out of Edward Snowden and, and other other leaks um, 
other leakers about national security. And you've definitely and seen it, an increase in people paying attention to the stuff because of that. Yep, yep. So you get the increased sensitivity to that. And then you have Google sort of stepping in its own uh, mass uh, in, a, in a legal filing, making the, the legal case that there is this absence of a lack uh, 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 of expectation of privacy, uh, but making it in a very uh, uh, kind of uh, social media uh, deaf manner. So they, they've stirred the pot for themselves on this one. Because of Google+. And before Google+, we saw Google had uh, its own individual privacy policies Blah, blah, blah. Privacy policies, wants a cracker. Privacy policies, uh, and then as soon as Google Plus came around, they started unifying all of this. But what the argument is is that what if someone is not a Gmail or a Google Plus user? That's when this third-party doctrine gets invoked, and uh, the expectation of privacy is gone. Which, like you stated, Mike, if you are if you're up on the times and you know what's going on, that expectation of privacy was never there to begin with. We know that you don't send an email with the content of something that you wouldn't want plastered all over the front page of the New York Times. Just you know, out of practice, you know, it's a good habit. I think it comes down to this: if you really want to have some privacy in your conversation, you and your friend go out in the forest somewhere. Uh, or up in the mountains where there's no one else around and no devices, leave all of your smartphones home with you and have your conversation. But as soon as you start stepping into the 21st century wired world, eh, not so much. Privacy is hard to find. It's a permanent medium. And well, it's harder to guarantee because of electronic medium. And you have, you know, Google has, a, they're in a position of power having such an ability just like they can search the web, they can theoretically search their emails. But uh, I don't know. I think a lot of us are kind of desensitized to it. Like there's a lot of people that have like this heightened sensitivity to it, but I think there's a lot of us also that have kind of a reduced, I don't know, we're not Fatigue. as scared or worried about it as some of the others. So maybe, I don't know. It's kind of a – but I do agree. Like as a whole, this has become a much more like – I don't think this was a big, as big a deal like two, three years ago. It's just amazing how much this has ballooned. I think a lot of it in the wake of the NSC, NSA uh, privacy. Uh, I'd like to issues. coin a phrase, and we'll call it privacy fatigue. I like that phrase. It's like click I'm, fatigue, right, with ads yeah. and, and, and the click OK to uh, what, went, what really started that, I believe, in Windows XP with the user uh, privilege thing that you had to click OK to install program that I feel like started the whole click fatigue thing and this is kind of the same thing you hear about it it's it's crying wolf over and over again and we try to um, to rally the masses and anonymous gets in on it and lolsec and you know something happens but then it kind of sputters out you know and then then the NSA Snowden leaks happen and now we're like oh wow we thought they were watching but now we have we really know. Fact, now we know that they're watching. And if you've been using the Internet and all of these technologies with that in the back of your mind that it is all digitized, it's all permanent somewhere on some system, your use is going to be different than someone who thinks when I post something on Facebook and I say that it's private, it's actually private. You know, it, it, two totally different uses. We know better and they don't. Well, and they make these big deals about something that shouldn't be a deal in the first place. Well, I will say this. On this Mashable article that you link it to in the rundown, uh, yeah. uh, they talk about how, like, well, Google basically is defending themselves, basically saying that we're basically not being quoted correctly. And uh, the, the passage that is in there, um, that the Consumer Watch uh, Privacy Director Quoted as saying, Google has finally admitted they don't respect privacy. People should take them at their word. If you care about your email correspondence, privacy, don't use Gmail. Uh, but the next uh, sentence is, what the stories neglected to do, however, was put the passage in contact and note that the last words, the ones in quotes, weren't Google's. So basically what Google 
has responded to in the original article was basically saying, hey, that we didn't say that. They're not the ones that have right. basically said a person has no legitimate expectation of privacy and information he voluntarily, voluntarily turns over to third parties. So I think at least as far as what this article indicates is uh, it's not as bad as, as it would seem. So. An, well, a non-issue. It's, yeah, it's really yeah. a subject, as Matt was saying earlier, that the general public doesn't understand very well. And I don't think this exchange, sort this sort of hyperbole used in the, the media today is going to help the public ex understand it any better. Yeah. Uh, the, I, I guess the good rule of thumb remains that uh, if, you're, if you're worried about privacy, uh, really worried about privacy, email is not a very good medium to use. Or as we learned at DEF CON from Montana State Representative Daniel Zolnikov, uh, if you want privacy in tech, move to Montana. But seriously, don't. But that's, you know, at the local state level, we have certain legislation that, you know, hopes to prevent this. And granted, does it really? Probably not. But it's a nice feeling, and if you can get enough states behind your privacy technology legislation, you can eventually start to make a difference. Uh, we see this, uh, a prime example, with the do not track stuff, right? Before it was an idea, the only way to enforce it is to get the politicians involved. The only way to do that is to force the issue, and the only way to do that is to start making standards, put it in the browsers... Uh, and the enforcement will come later, but you have to have it in place and all that, you know, before anyone will even start thinking about it. And now we're starting to see third-party cookies blocked by default, uh, Apache, Microsoft going back and forth with the default, is it on or default, is it off? If it's on, are we going to honor that? You know, it's a whole, it's a whole big thing. But again, like you said, if you're using the internet in a mindful manner, this shouldn't be an issue. Yeah, and I gotta say, at least as far as Gmail is concerned, they do a real good job at blocking spam. I get oh, fraction sure. of spam. So. For sure, they almost. I, I get a few false positives here and there, which I've written filters to fix. But uh, and the only time I ever get them is when it's uh, for WordPress. We use this specific uh, sort of uh, form, basically send mail form. Uh, it likes to mark those as spam. But once you, like I said, you make the filter, it's all good. Yeah, like I have a Yahoo account and two Juno accounts, for example. And you Juno, notice the like difference, right? It's a yeah, clear... it's like they forgot about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's crazy. I've, I've, I've been using Gmail for probably eight or ten years now. And since just, beta, right? Back in the day, yeah, the since beta. beta <laughs> yeah, it's just too. a fantastic product. For sure. And it's and, gotten and, better. It's It gets so much better with every iteration. It's, and it isn't like this is unique to to Gmail, I, I could move to another email provider, but I would have no better security or expectation of privacy. And we should say, else. if you want email with security, expectation of privacy, all that, you have to use TNO. You trust no one. You run your own mail server. You have PGP or open PGP or whatever yeah. you want to use. And you have your public key, and, then, and there you go. And I think that is... That's as close to an ideal TNO type system as you can get. But who's gonna do that? Yeah, that is so far above even, most people's pay grade. It just isn't going to happen. Even our server—it's a dedicated server that we run our shows on, our email and everything through. It's not in my house. It's a server we rent. You know, so that trust no one is gone as soon as I mean. Grant, we have the control over it. But when it comes down to it, somebody could roll into Irvine, into the server room, and there it is, you know? So, or someone, yeah, someone could shut down the, the uh, Or the whole CO, like, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. And who's to say who's – I'm in Montana, so I have this legislation. My server is in California, which does not have that legislation. Are you tapping the upstream fiber of the Irvine Center over – some random podcaster's, you know, cable connection? Of course. So it's, yeah, I don't know. Uh, a, a quick mention out of the Verge article that Neelai wrote. Uh, he's talking about, the. this is basically what they're up in arms about. He says, consumer groups are up in arms today over a motion Google made in June to dismiss a class action lawsuit 
alleging that Gmail violates federal and state wiretapping laws by scanning emails at the server level. Google's full filing runs 39 pages. He has a link to it here. We'll put a link to this article in the show notes at yetanothertechshow.com. He says, but it's just one argument about halfway through that's causing all the trouble. This argument says, just as a sender of a letter to a business colleague cannot be surprised that the recipient's assistant opens the letter, people who use web-based email today cannot be surprised if their emails are processed by the recipients uh, in the course of delivery. Indeed, quote, a person has no legitimate expectation of privacy in information he voluntarily turns over to third parties. And then Neil writes, <clears throat> Neil writes, this line has been widely misinterpreted to make it seem like Google is saying Gmail users have no expectation of privacy when they use Gmail and the outrage is thick. Consumer Watchdog put out a press release calling the line a, quote, stunning admission that Google has finally admitted they don't respect privacy. And this is what uh, you were referring to, Mike. Um, they say, yeah. as, let me finish, uh, as the story circulated through the media, the comparisons to Edward Snowden, Prism, and the NSA are flying fast and furious, which is exactly what the personal injury lawyers who filed the case seem to want. And those guys can be found at slocumlaw.com. So maybe okay, send, the thing, send them a hi. The only thing I'll point out is the Mashable article. They basically point out that that, that statement isn't actually by, by Google. Oh, is that what you were? Okay. Yeah, basically. Um, Interesting. See, uh, who? Uh, let me see if I can get through a thing. Who did they say that the who who said that then? Give me a second. I'm trying to trying to make sure I get this right. And this is uh, there's a, a tweet from at Durson D U R R S O N, uh, retweeting or posting a link to a Guardian article. And he says, Google has finally admitted they don't respect privacy. And uh, it's a, a link to a Guardian article entitled, Google, don't expect privacy when sending to Gmail. Yeah, what it says on Mashable is the passage is contained in a section that referred to plaintiffs who are non-Gmail users. Right. What Google, was, what Google was arguing as a personal knowledge of the proceedings confirmed to Mashable was that it treats emails non I'm not sure if I'm if I'm characterizing this right, but basically what they're saying in the Mashable article is that that passage doesn't actually come from Google, but I'm not sure who it, who it comes from according to here. Interesting. Um, and then yeah, basically what we said, quoting the um, '79 Supreme Court case Smith versus Maryland, uh, and that's the third-party doctrine you get. Uh, so they say Google points out that email processing is a basic part of email itself with citations to several court decisions. Uh, and then two paragraphs after the whole Smith versus Maryland quote, Google's lawyers spell out their exact argument in utterly simple terms. And what they say is that non-Gmail users who send emails to Gmail recipients must expect that their emails will be subjected to Google's normal processes as the email provider for their intended recipients. Non-Gmail users. Neelai says, these words appear roughly 300 words after the Smith vs. Maryland quote, which is causing all the fuss. But it appears no one read that far. He says, that's it. It's very much true that Google needs to do a better job of communicating and enforcing the steps it takes to protect its customers' privacy, especially as it continues to amass data about every human on the planet. And it's also a fact that the third-party doctrine as laid out in Smith v. Maryland is no longer good law. The Supreme Court did not know about the Internet and smartphones back in 79. Panic tweakers still have plenty to freak out about in general. So, interesting stuff. Uh, lots of great comments <laughs> also. Um, well, it's a commentary on our times. Isn't it, it is, we're exactly. All, right? We're all a little freaked out about security and privacy. Yep, yep. And this just fu- uh, is fuel for the Feeding fire. Feeding the fire, man. Feeding the fire. Uh, yep. All right, let's shift gears to talk about something interesting. We saw Elon Musk talking about the Hyperloop. Um, there was so much, I, I don't want to call it hype, but so much like speculation on what could it possibly be? What, what is this thing that is going to take people from, uh, what was it? San Francisco to some, uh, let me see. Los, Los Angeles. Angeles. L- yeah. 
in in 30 minutes in 30 minutes right like what could this possibly possibly be and then on the 12th the article on abc news here elon musk reveals design for high speed transit system loop hyperloop and, and basically say, uh, can i say first futurama yeah, yeah. reminds me of futurama tubes and that movie the core when we made a, a thing go straight through Earth from New York to Shanghai, and it went through the core of the planet in this weird subway system type thing, and gravity shifts and all this weird stuff. And you know how that ended up? All of the rich people were A-OK, and all of the poor people that had to ride the train to the core to work in Shanghai, like, it was a classic 99% versus the 1% system, so... That's that's oh. my take on it. What what do you think, Mike? I I well, you know, as someone who's who's lived both in LA and San Francisco and traveled back and forth all all my life, I want this. I want to get in the cool tube and half an hour late, later step out in Los Angeles and see my friends that live down there or decide I can go down to Los Angeles for for lunch and be back in time for uh for for drinks that evening. I mean, how cool is it? Pretty it's, pretty cool. I mean, yeah. maybe maybe a cannon that launches you into suborbital space, and then you just yeah, you sort of land in Los Angeles. Maybe yeah, you parachute hopefully. down from suborbital <laughs> suborbital levels or the ocean somewhere in that area. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, they'll give you a life vest to go with it. Well, yeah. I mean, I, I would expect nothing. But less. this is this is like a you know for for. This is like a $70 billion project. Oh, right. And this isn't, he's not building it. This was like a Kickstarter in essence, you know, a a grand unified Kickstarter. That's like, I have the idea. If you guys have the $88 billion, let's make it happen. Yeah, he's going to crowdsource it basically. Of course, of course. If the rest of us chip in the $88 billion, you know, he's good. There there we go. Uh, It says (laughs) Musk has described the Hyperloop as a, quote, cross between a Concorde, a railgun, and an air hockey table. But I'm down with all three of those things, so let's, let's make it happen. <laughs> you know, this is the guy, though, that co-founded PayPal. Tesla. Right? And, and Tesla made a Motors. Now he's on to, to Tesla, which SpaceX. looks like a really cool vehicle. And SpaceX. I have serious Tesla envy, but oh, it's man. never going to be gratified. And you see them there, right? You you yeah. probably see them. Yeah. So, oh, that's they're so like, cool. They're like a decade ahead of the curve in terms of electronic products. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Even after that whole article, did you guys hear about that where uh, he let some, some writer, a reviewer, drive one from like, san francisco to oregon or something and like the guy gave it just this terrible review because he wasn't driving it properly this and that they were trying to showcase uh how far you can get you know and it was in winter time so the batteries were having problems and even after some stations yeah 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 and even after all of that like it's still a great car you know it's this guy's a genius definitely um he yeah, go ahead. He, he clearly is a genius, and you know you've got to you've got to admire the sort of visionary nature of the thing. But I also I just have to point out this story from uh, today's New York Times, uh, and the the link is in the rundown. Uh, it this is a riot because New York City actually had something like this. Check this out: 140 years ago. They had a like a pneumatic tube that sat that people sat in, and went several blocks under city streets. Really? At, at, yeah. Check out the check out the story in the New York Times, and it it moved at the stately speed of ten miles an hour. <laughs> now this this was like 1870 before motor vehicles come along. So ten miles an hour is a pretty good clip, and. Uh, it was propelled, the, the capsule was propelled through this pneumatic tube by giant fans that turned and forced air through the tubes that then propelled the, uh, the capsule. So it turns out that there's really nothing new after all under the sun. Just maybe a little fresher than 130 years old or Do you? Th- yeah. Do you think yeah, maybe... Elon Musk's idea is a little faster than 10 miles an hour. 
I think they maybe put too much stock in the hype part of Hyperloop, Hyperloop and, yeah. and yeah. not enough in the er loop, you know? Just just, just, just saying. I wouldn't want to beta test it personally, just throwing that out there. I, but then, like, I, I think about a Concorde, and I think about a Railgun, and I think about how much I love air hockey, and I'm like, okay, I'll do it. Oh, sign me up. I want to I want right? to take the first trip on this thing. to Mars also. He says yeah, the yeah, actual plans seriously. that show uh show that his original description uh wasn't too far off. He published a 57-page design plan on both Tesla Motors and SpaceX's blog as a PDF available for download. So we'll put a link to that in the show notes at yellowtechshow.com. The abridged version is that the Hyperloop is a large pneumatic tube and travel would be similar to the way the Jetson family moved between rooms in its futuristic cartoon household. Uh, one of the stumbling blocks of developing a pneumatic tube system is the Kantrowitz limit. This is an esoteric aerodynamics formula that says how fast a pod can travel in a tube. Uh, effectively, it's an issue of pressure. He says, quote, if the walls of the tube and the capsule are too close together, the capsule will behave like a syringe and eventually be forced to push the entire column of air into the system. Uh, not good. <laughs> to make the pod go faster, he proposes mounting a large fan to its nose. The fan would take high pressure at the front of the pod and direct it toward the rear, effectively alleviating the pressure of the pod and facilitating high speeds. Elon estimates the cost of the project would fall between six and seven point five billion dollars, depending on whether the hyperloop, the hype loop, <laughs> would ship cargo as well as passengers. Although the initial plan is tailored specifically to LA and Frisco, Musk m- mentioned other potential cities that could incorporate hype loop, including Diego, San Diego, and Las Vegas. Excuse me. Um, yeah, so. Uh, there's a there's a similar story about this in the Bloomberg Business Week. Bloomberg Business Week. Business Week. And and the, the best line there is uh, somebody's uh, described it uh, uh, this way. It's like getting a ride on Space Mountain at Disneyland. <laughs> nice. <laughs> if you could throw like some water in there and maybe a couple monsters that jump out, this yeah, would yeah, be a yeah. whole tourist thing, right? Okay, I'm in. I'm Take, in for it. There you go. <laughs> All right, Nick. Air you hockey, Concord, Railgun, Space Disney Mountain. Land. Boom. Space Mountain. I love it. Bravo, Mr. Musk. Bravo. <laughs> oh, man. All right. Uh, let's see. What do you guys want to talk about next? We have this interesting piece on thought-controlled computing by Matt Miller here. Um, yeah. What? Yeah. Who, who wants to tell me about this? I just saw it in the rundown. I was like, whoa. This is... This is sort of a cool story. This is, uh, Matt Miller uh, is a podcaster and also radio host who does a show called This is Interesting. And his guest on this week's episode is a, uh, uh, a Canadian woman, Ariel uh, Garden, who is a um, – neuroscientist and psychologist, practicing psychologist, who is uh, developing uh, sort of, uh, has a company that's developing fashionable, wearable uh, sensors that uh, uh, you can uh, use to take readings that display on uh, on a smartphone of your brain waves. So, this is technology that's still in its infancy, but it can be used really to make you much more aware of what kind of brain activity you have going on. So, I, I mean, the idea of thought-controlled computing is a little premature right now, but she talks about this as a technology that evolves over the next 10 years or so in some really sure. exciting ways. And it seems, I mean, if you really think about like the concepts of what needs to happen for this to work, it really, I don't want to like take anything away from it, but it seems simple. If you can think of something and get a reading on that something and then think of something else and get a different reading, you can attach those to computer commands 
in essence, if I think of a dog, if I want a helicopter or one of those quadricopters to go up, I just think about that and I get my baseline and then, you you know, it's so in, in theory, it seems like really simple concepts, obviously making this work in functional IRL real life situation, much, much more difficult. Uh, she has a great TEDx Toronto talk. Uh, yeah, yeah. If I'll, we'll put links to that in the show notes, definitely. Um, yeah, she's she, she's really crazy. I like this stuff. She is she is predicting that you know right crazy now smart. when you post on say Google Plus or Facebook, you can geotag your right, post. Where right. she's saying five years from now, we're going to be able to elect to post our emotional state. <laughs> Automatically, I'm gonna mind tag. <laughs> yeah, a mind tag. A mind tag. With Boom. Our, you know, you can you can say I'm I'm out with my I'm out with my girl having dinner at uh, at the restaurant, and then you can you can elect, or maybe the default is set to record your emotional state with that post. That's interesting, yeah. too. There was, uh, I'm trying to find the article. I can't find it. But a while ago, we talked about uh, a country that the, the guy was monitoring the mood of his city based on Twitter. I, was that on Yats? Oh, we talked, that might have been on, like that. On, on a different show we talked about. It. I can't remember. But he had, like, this monitor that was, and these algorithms that were combing, you know, based on location, obviously. You would, um, Go through these tweets, and and you, with given enough information, you can start to construct, you know, certain things. Like, what's going on? How are people feeling? How is sickness spreading? Uh, All sorts of stuff. It's really interesting. The more information we feed these services, it's cool to see what kind of analytical stuff we get back. It seriously is. I'm down with it, for sure. You can. We'll put a, a link in the show notes for uh, this is interesting thought controlled computing. They call her the brain guru on this <laughs> uh, TEDx talk. She's co-founder of Interas Exon. <laughs> I don't know how to pronounce that. <laughs> I'm a dummy. Interaxon. Yeah. Be- it beats me. That I N T E R A X O N. Yeah. Sounded out, bro. <laughs> But yeah, really interesting stuff. So definitely, uh, we'll we'll put those links on the site. He is also on Google. You can uh, Google Plus. You can follow her there and Twitter. I, and I definitely Twitter. want to listen to this podcast now with her uh, on it. That I'm really interested in the whole thought controlled computing. I think uh, Big Picture Science recently did an, an episode about that. Really, really good stuff. Uh, by the way, this Matt Miller podcast is only a few episodes old right now. Oh, but, cool. Uh, it's a weekly, and he has an entirely different topic each week. He spends the whole of 30 minutes on that topic, and he, he does a really good interview. Let's see, Mike, you've got a Roku. Are, are you not one of the Roku users? I am a new Roku fanatic. Really? Uh, More than I'm, a Chromecast? Uh since you mentioned it, do you have uh, a Chromecast? Right, get out right of here. here! Look at right that! Here. If I owned an HDMI television, I would be really yeah. jealous right now. We can do we can do an unboxing. It is right here. I'll break it out, brother. Uh huh. There awesome. it is. Look at you, Chromecast. Look at you with the USB Chromecast HDMI yeah. thing. There's the little chunky power supply, and the unit itself is right here. I'm, Look how Chris cute! Miller's, it's so cute! Chris Miller's out tonight, so I'm the guy that gets to hold up all the good nice, swag. Nice show and tell on yeah. Yats. Did you pick it up at a store, or did you order it online? Was that pre-order ordered, with the Netflix deal? I ordered it, uh, like, the day after they canceled the Netflix oh. deal. You know, my bad, and I got it, I think I got it uh, through uh, Google Play. So it came to me directly from Google. Yeah, and... I ordered it on August 1st, and I'm still waiting, so yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay, Nick. You know Eric on AOTA, he's still waiting for Ouya. his, uh, what was it he pre-ordered? His, uh, yeah, his, yeah. 
He's a Kickstarter backer. <laughs> Poor kid. Still for that. Poor yeah. kid, man. He cannot get a break, this one. On the subject of, of Roku, though, I could yes. not help uh, notice this week the uh, Roku announcement that they are the most stream, most used streaming media player. Do you and think the, that's because of their presence in stores like Target, Walmart, Shopco, things like that? I've noticed Roku's there. Um, that's where a lot of the average user, the masses at large, if you will, uh, get that kind of stuff. Uh, I think if you can get it in front of their faces rather than just sell it online, if you get it into those old school brick and mortar stores, yep. I think that really contributes to their numbers, you know, because this is kind a of a smart... geek thing. You know, this cord cutting Roku, it's, it's kind of geeky a little bit, I think. It is geeky. You know, you gotta you got to plug it into your television, then you've got to install apps, and you've got to figure out which apps get you and to your which network, services. You've got to make sure your networks and all that. But Roku is now out to their, like, their third-generation product, so it's, it's getting to be a mature product. They have something like 400 different channels you can subscribe to. Of course, a lot of those are international channels that aren't even in English language. But, yeah, I'm actually going to pick up one tomorrow, but I had heard that YouTube isn't available on it by default, and you have to, like, download it. Do you know if that's true offhand? You, YouTube is not available by default, but there, do a, a simple web search, and you'll land up with, you'll quickly find instructions to install YouTube. Cool. Yeah, I'm getting one tomorrow for my girls, and so uh, they, they use Netflix all the time, so I want to get them set up with that, so... Yeah, Roku really has a a nice consumer friendly polished product, and you know the I love the stories where the little guys like Roku, whoever heard of Roku, are beating out Apple and Microsoft and That's Google. Cool. Google. That's way cool. We'll see yeah. how long that lasts with the Chromecast coming out, yeah, yeah. but yeah, yeah, that's still the more choices we have in this whole cord cutting game, the, the more better. it's gonna push. Uh, channels and networks like HBO, Showtime, the stuff like that, to offer their a la carte as we yeah, all want. This is where competition who watched, is good. Who so. watched Breaking Bad? Who watched Orange is the New Black on you know Netflix? It's there's a huge market there. They're kind of getting the shaft on. I know hmm. I don't pay for it, and I allegedly get to watch those shows. So. Got to do something. I can't imagine how that happened. I don't know. I was like, wow, Breaking Bad. Wow, Falling Skies. Wow. This is like yeah. all my shows. Dexter? Okay, that's fine. Uh-huh. <laughs> okay. Uh, the Roku, the most popular, as you said, streaming video device in the U.S. Out of the 10,000 people polled by this Parks Associate survey, 37% of those with a streaming video media device use the Roku most, while 24% used Apple TV. Overall, use of these types of devices has doubled since 2011 to 14% this year. Uh, they say given that smart TVs, particularly 4K UHD sets, are still rather pricey, it's less risky and more financially feasible to pick up a Roku, Apple TV, or Chromecast. And if you think about it, what do you want to upgrade? Your whole plasma or this little box that plugs into the plasma enabling some brains exactly and this is a story we should all uh link to and send to all of our uh, contacts at comcast and time warner and at&t yep because they're sweating the long-term viability of their business. Well, and if they would, oh, stop spreading yourself so thin. Your business isn't to create content. It's to be a dumb pipe so that we can get our content. If yes. you went back to that, you would be fine. You wouldn't have so many people hating you because you are the worst, most cutthroat industry out there. Yes, I'm tell sorry. it like it is. That's that's it. That's exactly how it is. And it's so aggravating. If you live in a smaller town like I do and you only have one choice, I'm lucky where I'm at that my cable provider is decent. But not so many other people are quite as lucky. Imagine if my cable provider here uh, didn't like us streaming videos so they block certain ports or they 
kind of go, uh, what's it called, uh, opposite net neutrality and say, yeah, all those hangout on air packets, those are going to be low tier. Yeah, if you want to yeah. watch one of our services, though, we got pipes all day. That's yeah, exactly. so, it's, it's so infuriating. I'm sorry. Uh, they say, quote, innovations such as next-gen game consoles, 4K or Ultra HD TVs will boost unit sales for these devices. But overall, consumers are reluctant to replace these big-ticket items solely for smart upgrades. Uh, it's Barbara Krauss, director of research at Parks Associates. She says, quote, as a result, streaming video media devices will have a thriving market because they can offer innovations such as streaming video at low prices. Devices such as Roku's streaming players and Google's Chromecast will benefit from these market conditions. And the more, the more in-depth these ecosystems surrounding these tools become, I mean, Google Play Books, Google Me, like all of their services are getting really, really good. It's going to be tough to beat. You know, you you have access to all of this stuff, and it's right there. Why why would I want anything else? This is this is the. Uh, it's only a matter of time. AT and T, yeah. Comcast, Time Warner, listen up. It's only a matter of time. Well, and who knows? Maybe Jeff Bezos comes in and buys himself a TV network. What are you gonna do? I need a nice TV network to complement my newspaper. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, that's good stuff. Uh, let's see. Google says, talk to me with voice-powered search. This is what we saw at I.O., is it not? Yes, yeah, that's correct. Tell me, Nick, what what's they finally rolling it out? Not to everyone, slowly at first, of course, but soon. Yeah, pretty much like Maps. Like uh, I haven't played with it myself, but, yeah, it looks like a like – a, Really, the next the next iteration of search. And, so, what uh, do you say? Let's see if I have it. Okay, Google. Google. <laughs> search. Why are you not listening to me? Engage. Yeah, but I mean, that's really what we all want. We want we want that Star Trek. Oh, here we go. Device, so we just talk to the computers. Star Trek. No, wait. Okay. Shh. Let's try this. Yet another tech show. Yet another text show. Good, good Google. Really, really. Attack of the Androids. Boom, and there it is. So now of what? Of course I got it. So now <laughs> what? <laughs> here, I can let me, uh, I'll show you guys what that looks like here. Oh, wait, that's recursion. My bad. Let's try that again. <laughs> Sorry. Okay. We good? All right. Attack of the Androids. And there you go. Now, now, Matt, ask it, what's my flight number? What's my belonging to or associated with the speaker. What? Google, shut up. What, what was that? <laughs> Wait. Oh. <laughs> Google. Google. Peacock. <laughs> what is my flight number? What is my flight number on my itinerary? Google. What's the command? This is terrible. Peacock. Peacock. Oh, here. Let's try. When do I go to work next? Nope. <laughs> oh, here. When is my next appointment? Google, this is bullshit. Well, they may not have rolled it out to you yet, Matt. I have the voice thing, though, but yeah, I get what you're saying. Well, if you have Chrome, you've had that that specific right, option right. for a while. Quite But yeah, time. as far as the intelligence and behind that, I'm not sure when we'll get that. I think you can go into the About Settings flags and enable it physically in there, perhaps? I, I, I don't know. I was just looking, trying to see. Uh, let me see. There is, what's the command to enable it? 
because on well, on what, Google what now it's just Google voice recognition tools that right. are already found in Google now. Right. So I'm just thinking like with Glass, it's OK Glass. With uh, Google now on the phone, it's Google. Uh, it's different for each device. Motorola, the Moto X, has OK Google now or something like some ridiculous kludge of all of the commands. <laughs> Yeah, I can't remember what the lady was saying in her demonstration of it at the latest Google I.O., but she was basically saying something lines of, okay, Google, and then right. so on and so forth. Right, and it worked amazingly well. If you guys remember the I.O. Uh, thing presentation she did, she was kind of scared at first because she's like, I've never, I don't know if this is going to work, and then it worked brilliantly, you know, yes. so... Um, they say Google will begin rolling out the voice search feature over the next several days to all U.S. English-speaking users on the desktop, tablet, and smartphone. The new voice-powered search will be added to most Google apps, including the Chrome browser for desktops and mobile, as well as Google search apps on Android and iOS. Uh, they noted also that the Google search voice feature will be able to help users find information, uh, as we explained earlier, about Flights, hotel, restaurant reservations, uh, online orders, daily schedules. Now, why is somebody reading all of my email to tell me when my flight is? This is that. <laughs> this is this is that. This is, this is it. This We're is right that. back where we started. Right there. See? Full circle. Love that when it happens. Uh, quote, whenever you don't want to see it, simply click the globe icon at the top of the search results page and turn it off for that search session to turn it off permanently visit the private results section in search settings we hope this makes your day just a little easier thanks googs couldn't have lived without it google i know good old goog just looking after us it's very helpful I love how it's like the giant speak now icon when you you got to see this. Hold on. What do you would you do it on the main page? Boom goes the dynamite. And now it finds me the Here YouTube video. Boom goes the dynamite. Yes. <laughs> That's awesome. Okay, I'm sold. They busted you, man. By the way, this, the uh, the NSA is going to be calling you about that dynamite remark. About boom. <laughs> what is this dynamite he speaks of? Oh, man. That's awesome. All right. Uh, we got like 10 minutes left. What else was in the news interesting that we should discuss? Nick, you have anything off the top of your head you want to discuss? Uh, well, one thing I wanted to bring up is... Uh, like, uh, I know a lot of people are going, you know, gaga over the Moto X. Part of it because it's mid-range equipment, you know, for its price. It, you know, it's not being received as well as it, as it could be. But I think there's still a fair amount of interest for that. But uh, one of the things I was thinking about, like for you, for example, you're on Verizon. And I think for you, if you're interested in getting a Moto X, what you may consider instead is the Droid Max because it's really the same hardware and much better battery. I, I, I was kind of looking at that, but... I feel like the Moto X would be more vanilla Android than those droids. And and I don't know. Like I said, I haven't messed with either of these. I'm still on a, a Verizon Galaxy Nexus. Uh, I do have my upgrade coming up, though, so I am keeping an eye out. I, I was kind of convinced on the HTC uh, One. That looked like a beautiful device, but... I can't deal with sense. I need to root and unlock it and custom ROM it and have Cyanogen mod on it. Like, that's that's my baseline, you know? I need my CM. It's such a great version of Android, and I've been with it for so long. Like, I, that's my... I will buy a device based on that, that criteria alone, you know? Oh, you're missing a great phone in the in the uh, HTC One. Yeah, you. That's what you were saying. You really dig it still. I I like. Uh, yeah, I I like the. I'll tell you what I really dig about the HTC One is those front-mounted speakers. It's, right, it, right. It's got the sound. You can put it down near you, and it's got the sound of a boombox. Yeah, it's that's incredible. that's really cool. I definitely noticed that. Um, the Transformer Prime had the speaker on the back, 
and I noticed when I was holding it certain ways if it if it hit my pant leg or something, you completely couldn't hear it. But then going to the Nexus 10 with the dual front speakers, such a tremendous difference. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That I really like in the phone, and it's got a good camera. It's it, it's a good overall package. That's awesome. And the, the, those HTZ, HTC Zoe's. Is that just, really cool, or is that gimmicky mess? Is it cool? Well, it's, a, it's gimmicky, but it's It's a fun. cool gimmicky? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think nice. if you share a lot to social sites, that may be uh, something for you. Although, realistically, I think right now you're limited to just HTC's site, but... Uh, you can probably extract the video and uh, post it elsewhere, but uh, I don't know. And honestly, I've been having a lot of fun just using the Google Plus photo thing, keeping in mind that they make auto-awesome GIFs. I've been shooting like that uh, on purpose, and I'm getting a lot of... I have a whole public uh, folder on my Google Plus photo album called Auto-Awesomes, and you can see in there all the different ones. I've. It is so cool. I don't... I don't know if I want to even mess with Zoe's or any of that other stuff because this is all automatic and it happens as I'm taking the pictures. I don't have to think about it. It makes you more apt to share more with Google. Yeah, because they're just plain fun. It's just so cool. I got one of the fire when we were camping. I got one of the dog and the cat. Oh, they're so great. So... Uh, let's talk about this. We're not big Apple fans generally, but an uh, article off of USA Today says that the new Apple iPhone is not expected to have many changes. Now, um, we haven't really seen, and Grant, like I said, I don't follow Apple stuff very much at all. I can't afford it. Um, you don't. You haven't really seen very tremendous uh, upgrades. You know, they've been very small, iterative. Uh, iOS seven. My brother is a Apple fanboy, you could say, in as much as I'm an Android fanboy. He said iOS 7 was great, but after playing with it for five minutes, I want something more. I need something else. This is minimal. Like, it's, it's good, but it's... And maybe we're at the point where what else can you do? Jelly Bean, amazing. iOS 7, I'm sure, is just it's as amazing. amazing. What yeah. are we doing? Where's the next evolutionary step here? Yeah, I am kind of worried about them in that, like, like the latest Mac, Air, uh, what is it, the uh, the Airbook, or what do we call it? Uh, that's, it's no faster, but it's got much battery life, but that seems to be, only, to be the only major improvement. The right. screen hasn't, you know, been increased, and uh, it seems like the iPad Mini is going to have to be the same, really the same, the same screen size and everything. It's so, almost like we're I'm stuck, kind of worried right? About are we advancing? St- yeah. Are we stuck in a in a in a slump here that without extra super special steps in battery life or battery technology in, in itself. My food's done. I don't, I don't know where the next <laughs> innovation is going to come from. I wish I did. Right. Wearables, I, right? Augmented reality wearables. If you follow Kurzweil's predictions of where this technology is going to achieve the singularity the next thing is wearables, lenses, stuff like that, and then making that better. Processing speed, I guess, still increasing. Moore's Law hasn't run out quite yet. Quantum computing, eventually, who knows? N- native language instruction, I mean, that's clearly where voice Google is stu- going. Right, voice yeah. stuff. And kind of thinking about what you want before you're wanting it so that when that synchronicity happens it's all one fluid act you know like i knew i was gonna need a pair of pants but i didn't consciously think about it enough to go to the store but i'm walking by the store and google is like yo you need a pair of pants instantly from the subconscious to i'm in the pants store now with google telling me what size pants i need it's coming. You know it's coming. Booyah. Totally. And so, that's going to be uh, pretty, yeah, pretty cool. To kind of finish this up here, uh, it says Apple could use a new hit. Its once ironclad grip on the smartphone market has taken a tumble. In the second quarter, Apple again saw its market share fall. Researcher Gartner on Wednesday said Apple's share fell to 14.2% from 18.8% in the year-ago quarter. 
Uh, market share climbed to 79% for phones from a variety of companies running Google's Android OS, up from 64.2% the year before. And we've kind of been seeing that, right? BlackBerry for sale, I guess. Uh, maybe Apple buys BlackBerry. Uh, who knows? Maybe Google buys BlackBerry. Who knows? Um, and then Apple, uh, iOS, and, and Android. A Windows phone? Yeah. Unless you're a TV show like Arrow and uh, Under the Dome, you're not probably using Windows stuff, you know. I would use Windows stuff if they paid me. <laughs> right? Or if they just gave it to me. They were yeah, like, use this. Even then. It seems cool, but I am so, again, going back to the ecosystem argument, I'm so invested with my seven ninety nine a month Google Music with my books now that I'm collecting since I have the tab I've been reading books on it it's it's you got to have something more compelling to make somebody switch and I yeah. don't see that happening I can see Microsoft buying Blackberry just to put them out of business or to get like a <laughs> or they have good phones. tech right their yeah. best stuff Chris Miller swears by it you get that as your you know what what does Microsoft use Are they still using IIS your your AspiNet freaking server, and uh, implement the best stuff for mobile devices. And uh, there you go. Never happened. Well, I, know, I know Microsoft was considering buying Nokia at least a couple of years ago, and Nokia is just too big a company in terms of like how much debt they're in. Right. They're not worth buying, basically. But someone like BlackBerry, I don't know what they are in terms of debt, but uh, maybe they're they'd be less. Less of an expensive purchase, so. Well, and Canadians are nice, so maybe they just forgive the debt, say, please take this, and Celine Dion and Brian Adams, and we'll call it even. <laughs> South Park <laughs> reference. All right. Uh, just for Celine. Right, there you go. They say even if the new f- iPhone 5S, to finish up the story, uh, isn't a major change from previous models, Apple will still sell a gazillion of them. It doesn't have to be earth-shattering for them to sell because people are brainwashed and we're all idiots. The end. Well, it's that, that, I mean that is that is true, and that happens to be what I believe. But I unfortunately I also <laughs> market. Uh, Apple just has a huge market share, and for a lot of people, they it's don't the want other to half, the, right? They're the other half they, of the market. They don't want to go through the overhead, the pain, the the brain damage of yeah. switching platforms. Huge. Whereas when I have a choice like that to make, I sort of think, oh, I want to switch platforms just to try something new. Right. Or in Leo Laporte's case, I'll just have them all. All the I things. have them all. Yeah. I have all the things. Yeah. <laughs> that would get frustrating too, I think, after a while. You'd just be like, okay, I, it's another phone. Fantastic. It would take I the, the fun I do think I want to be Leo Laporte. I, I wouldn't mind working for Leo Laporte. I don't know if I yeah. want to be him, but... Yeah, Leo, cool are you listening? Leo, I will move to Petaluma. Just get me a place. Yeah. All right, I think that's going to do it then. Unless there was anything else, it's all uh, pretty much what we talked about. So... I think that's a good wrap on the week's news. That's a good yeah, it's Mike Rothman, you got any articles you want to direct people to? You know, just like I always say, you can check out my writing at uh, Dell's uh, Tech Page One. That's TechPage1.com. Or follow me on uh, That Works For Me in the Twitterverse. On the Twitter. Right on. Nick Carroll. You can find this guy on Attack of the Androids with us every Tuesday. You writing anywhere or you got anything else you want to plug? Uh, nope, just uh, podcasting, uh, enjoying being on AOTA uh, Weekly. Definitely good to have you. Uh, I wrote a couple articles that should be hopefully getting published soon up on techpage1.com. Uh, I made some hip-hop music, a bunch of it. It's all free at thejamhole.com slash music if you want to check out some nerd rap. <laughs> and it's good uh, stuff, too. Thanks, I appreciate that. I, yeah. I enjoy it. Uh, and, uh, yeah, check out the Yats Google Plus community. We post uh, random stories and kind of poke fun at them here and there and have good discussions after the shows. Uh, lots of extra stuff there. All the links are on yetanothertechshow.com. Uh, of course, Attack of the Androids Tuesday, Yats Wednesday, Aunt Pruitt's Point and Shoot, Smartphone Photographer Hangout on Thursdays. 
and yeah, subscribe in iTunes, leave us a rating, a review, all that stuff definitely helps and just interact with the show. Uh, we have Facebook, Twitter accounts, all that. It's all on the site at yetanothertechshow.com. I'm Matt Lee. That's Yats. Thanks for listening, guys. Have a good night. Good night, you all. Tech Show. Check us out online at yetanothertechshow.com.